Here's what's coming up on today's show. That's kind of the legalities of it. They are valid everywhere, but that does not guarantee that you won't run into headaches when you cross state lines. Do you know what will happen to your loved ones when something happens to you? If you don't know the answer or don't like the answer, then this is the show for you. Listen up as we teach you about protecting your family legacy through better estate planning. Our family is here to protect yours. So welcome to the Complete Estate Planning Podcast with attorney Nick Rosenbauer. And here's your host, Ben George. Welcome in to Complete Estate Planning. I am Ben George. He's Nick Rosenbauer, estate planning attorney and owner at the Rosenbauer Law Office. You can find us online, CincinnatiEstatePlan.com. Nick, what's going on today? Oh, we're uh, having having some fun. I have, uh, see, Ben, I don't know, are you uh, are you to the point where little one's doing t-ball yet? I don't know what age. Uh, that, no t-ball uh, yet. We are no starting a little soccer, Nick. I know that brings back bad memories, but... It's a, it's a not, I don't think it's an, actually a team play. It's just, they all come out on the same day and practice and then break out and do like activities and drills and stuff. But which, which at that age is probably for the best and the most fun. Yeah. Um, so we got T-ball coming up in the spring and I signed up to be uh, head coach and let's just say like they had a coaches meeting and things like that. I don't know. You know, if you did baseball or anything growing up or maybe, you know, I feel like the T-ball and baseball parents, they take this stuff way more seriously Yeah, at a way early age. I mean, they are, you know, my son is four and it's a, it's a, you know, it's four, it's four and five year olds uh, on the team. Um, they have a four and five year old league that is non-competitive and they have a five and six year old league that is competitive. Ridiculous. It I is. know. I, I, it seems a bit much. There's yeah. spirit wear. Like there's a, there's a local, um, you know, uh, there's a local store that does all the like grade school and high school stuff for like Monroe high school. Yeah. And they have spirit wear for the four year old kid teams. Oh, yeah. There's an opening day parade. I always um, like those. I will say that was always fun. Uh, pff, okay. Well, you and, we, you and we, everyone else in Monroe besides <laughs> me. We threw out candy and it was, things were simple. Those were simpler times back then, Nick. I think that. so. And now I'm going to sit there just worried a bunch of four-year-olds are going to jump out of the back of a pickup <laughs> truck and it's going to be my fault. Um, and, you know, I'm sitting there kind of talking and we got, you know, practice and games starting up and I'm I'm trying to figure out equipment and you would think that the league w- would provide the balls, the tee, uh, the bats and the helmets. Obviously, kid gets their own gloves, right? And what I was told was, you know, the, the quote from the, the commissioner was, in my experience, most uh, kids have their own bat, so they don't provide us bats. Um, like I went to Walmart and picked up a couple just so we had them. But the guy was like, oh, yeah, definitely by this age. So by age four, most kids have their own bats and their own helmets. Hmm. Oh, helmets too, huh? Yeah, I don't know what I've gotten myself into. <laughs> I mean, can't you, buy, can't you just have like three bats for a team and they just even two bats for a team? Yeah, yeah. A couple bats, a couple, 
you know, you need a few helmets because because kids will get on base. Like I don't, right. I mean, good luck getting an out. So I know you need, <laughs> you know, you know, for the guys on base and and batting and on deck. But apparently, by this age, which is funny because it's the first age they can do it, and it's age four. You know, apparently, it's common practice to buy your four year old his own t ball bat and batting helmet. Mm. Yeah, I may be in trouble. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's cheap these days. Uh, any, anything you do, just yeah. You know, I'll be honest with you. I wasn't a, a stud in, in in baseball. I played up through you know basically freshman year in high school, and when you got to middle school, a few kids had their own bats, but not really in grade school. No one had their own helmet. Like I don't know if you ever grew base. If you, did you ever play baseball growing yeah, up? Was I don't, I'm trying to think. I don't think I ever had my helmet. I just think I remember there yeah. always used to be a bag of helmets that we would yes bring to practice mm-hmm. and pick one out. Yeah, and a bag of bats. But you'd have a couple kids who um, had their own bat and mm-hmm. yeah. At a certain age, you get your own bat. Middle school. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, for me, I just I had my own glove, and I didn't even do baseball cleats. I just did soccer cleats um, because. You know, I played soccer. I didn't even get special baseball cleats. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always wanted, because I was a catcher, I wanted my own catcher's mitt, which I never got. Um, but I I thought that would have been the pinnacle of being all decked out, you know. Um, but yeah, they had a catcher's mitt that I used and the catcher's equipment. So hmm. we shall see. To <laughs> be determined. Okay, uh, practice is going to start in a few weeks, and I don't know. Um, it's probably not going to happen, but I have a feeling people are going to treat this as if uh, there's major league scouts, you know, <laughs> at Monroe's right. four- and five-year-old non-competitive T-ball. Oh, because apparently there's competitive T-ball <laughs> yeah. for five-year-olds. Um, so to be determined. So all of you guys, this is a first time listening. Definitely subscribe uh, if you want more juicy details <laughs> on this because, I mean, I know I'm going to have a story. I don't know what that story is going to be, but I, I think I, I think I may be in for it uh, coming up. So That's is funny. that what's that? What's the, is that called a teaser? Is that is that what that is? is yeah. That, and, okay, well I done. used that phrase correctly. All righty. Well, well done. So there's our teaser. Make sure you subscribe uh, to future episodes going forward, and you can learn about me probably unceremoniously being kicked out of Monroe baseball for not taking four-year-old t-ball serious enough. So well, I'm looking forward to it. If, if I'll bet if you are. Else. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, uh, pretty soon you'll probably be playing travel ball. Uh, who knows? That's, that's the next oh, expense. We won't go that route, but no, no, we're talking travel today on the show. So I had to throw it out there today. We are focusing good. on <laughs> those who live in multiple <laughs> States or travel frequently. You know, they're, you want to work with, when we talk about this all the time, and, and Nick works with people all across Ohio, but primarily people that are closer to his office there in Westchester. And, you know, you want to work with them because they understand the laws of the state you live in. But there is special consideration to be given for people who residents in multiple states or they travel frequently. And even though we have a lot of work from home these days, still plenty of travel for work as well. So, you know, what happens then if you do set up your home state, but then something either happens while you're living in that second home or if you are out traveling for work or in a different place? So is this a situation, Nick, that like that you work on frequently or a conversation that pops up a lot? 
Well, and first off, for all of our listeners, that uh, that that great transition that you had there, Ben, was not planned at all. So, <laughs> so props to you. I wanted to I wanted to give you credit for that on air before we get too far past. <laughs> it. Um, whether people believe it or not, that was not pre-planned at all. So, so bravo on that. Um, so we deal with it. I'll tell you more frequently. I think now than I did, you know, 10, 11 years ago. And it's a lot of situations for people who retire and maybe they still want to live here, but they get like a second home or a vacation home um, or something like that. Or, you know, you have someone who already has a vacation home, but now that they are retired or that they can work from anywhere, you know, instead of just going to their vacation home three weeks a year, now they're spending four months there. So I will say it is trending. We're talking about it more uh, than I did 10 years ago, for sure. Okay. Well, let's start then uh, with the legal side of things. What are the legalities of the estate plan that you have then? So first off, and I think we've talked about this before uh, on a couple other episodes, obviously, Every state's got different laws. Okay, so you have a, if so if you're in Ohio, the laws are different than Florida and North Dakota and Kentucky, everything like that. Um, different requirements, and then there's also just best practices. You know, so within each state, they have rules on what you can and can't do, and there's some moves that are better to be made than others. Now that being said, your plan is valid or legal you know, in every state in the United States, as long as it was properly done somewhere. I believe that's the full faith and credit clause of the Constitution, if I remember correctly. It's been a while since I did constitutional law, so so I'm sure if I have that wrong, one of our constitutional scholars can correct us. Um, you know, but like if you execute an estate plan in Ohio, Kentucky has to honor it as valid. Now, Regardless of that, that doesn't necessarily mean it will play nicely and things will go very well uh, when you cross state lines. Um, you may have uh, situations where, hey, we recognize this as valid, but here in Kentucky, we do things a little bit different. So it just, you know, it's not really compatible or it just doesn't mesh very well. Or, you know, you may have institutions, doctors, hospitals where, you know, you're trying to be making medical decisions, you're trying to go to the bank and the banker or the doctor or the hospital said, well, gee, I don't, I, I've, I, I've reviewed powers of attorney before, but I've never seen a healthcare power of attorney from Montana. So I can't just look at it and understand what's going on and say, yes, Ben, you are in charge, you know, do what you need to do. Um, so there may be delays, confusions, headaches, things like that, not because it's, you know, illegal once you cross state lines, but just because the hospital administrator in Montana, when you hand her a healthcare power of attorney from Florida, odds are he or she's going to say, geez, I've never seen this before. I need to, uh, I need to figure it out first. Um, you know, it, typically speaking, you have a little better luck, um, you know, for plans, and this is kind of getting into the technicalities um, but with, you know, broader language and powers and maybe some catch-all provisions, um, just a better chance of, of getting accepted or, you know, the institution's playing ball 
uh, so to speak, assuming that they have something that uh, uh, makes the institution comfortable. So it's like a shotgun approach versus a sniper approach. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd rather have the shotgun approach. Something is going to hit and something's going to have the language that makes the bank happy, you know, in Montana. Uh, so to speak. So that's, but that's kind of the legalities of it. They are valid everywhere, but that does not guarantee that you won't run into headaches when you cross state lines. Okay. So then what do we need to think about if we are someone that maybe lives in multiple places, what are some things to keep in mind there? Yeah. Well, if you live in multiple places versus you just vacation or travel a lot, it's different. Um, so first off, you know, it's important for your attorney to know what your legal residence is and your second residence or, or your vacation home. Is it always the same place? You know, some people say I have a home in Florida. Okay. Then I know it's always Florida versus, you know, I use a vacation club or a timeshare. We travel all the time, but sometimes it's Florida. Sometimes it's Colorado. Sometimes it's California. That's totally different, right? That's a moving target, so to speak. Um, I've had some people, you know, they say, well, I have a house here and I have a house, a kind of a cabin in the woods. It's three hours away, but it's still in Ohio or it's still in the same state. Um, You know, normally state laws are, are, are normally what you're dealing with from estate planning. So if it's in the same state, it doesn't really matter. You're covered 100%. So another thing to keep in mind are the two places close together, okay? So if you say, I have a home, you know, in northern Florida, and then I have a home in Georgia right across the border, literally my cabin in Georgia, I can see the Florida coast. Again, legally doesn't change much, but if you're in a hospital five minutes away from Florida, or a bank five minutes away from Florida, you got a much better chance that they have are familiar with Florida's documents and have seen it before. Okay. okay. So again, this is not like a legal thing, but I got a much better chance there versus Montana. You know, if you, if you have something from Montana down in a hospital in Miami, Florida, good luck that they've ever seen that before. You know, another thing is that, you know, what's, do you have like a regular kind of living arrangement or schedule? I've had some people say, yeah, I have a vacation home. I go there once in a while versus I spend every summer in Ohio and every winter in Florida. And it's always this time here, this time here. Okay. Um, So that's certainly different. Um, you know, and then the second state or second home, most likely, not always, but most likely has their own medical directives. Um, <clears throat> so if you have, if you have a state that you spend significant amount of time in, then there is certainly a risk, you know, that you may have an illness or an emergency in that state. And is it a good idea to have medical directives for that state, along with your home state. It, for people who are using a trust as well, you know, for their inheritance plan, you know, trusts kind of travel differently than everything else. Not always, but in general. Uh, and does one state's laws have a big advantage or opportunity over another state's laws? 
and and you're not this is kind of weird ben but if mm-hmm. you live in north carolina and you have a home in ohio but north carolina's your home state which you're a resident of you don't mm-hmm. necessarily have to create a north carolina trust you can create an ohio trust if you want to uh, in a lot of cases so which state you know has some goodies or or some more favorable laws that you can take advantage of something to keep in mind and then also you know and i know we've talked about this on other things but where do you keep your documents okay you know can they be accessed in the event of emergency we've talked about that but what if you have a heart attack down in florida and your your documents are are in the in the steel cabinet your home in ohio okay what the heck good does that do you okay so is that something where just just make sure you have access and make sure others have access okay because what if the kids are three states over back home it's really impractical for them to fly down and break into your house and try and find stuff 10 years ago it was much harder but now i'll be honest ben like what i do put your medical documents on my chart if you ever use my chart that's fantastic and then like i have like an email or a Dropbox or a Google Drive or something like that. So, you know, I have something where I can pull up my estate planning documents and my wife's right from my phone. So okay. I can get to them and my wife can get to them if we need to. Okay, so the internet tech digital thing uh, kind of makes things easier. Uh, geez, I remember 10 you know years ago, used to give advice for people who were heading south for the winter you know, take all their legal documents with them. Like it'd be part of what you would pack up, uh, you know, to head south for three months, Um, which is crazy, but it's what you had to do. So I just email them out and then everyone's got copies and and that usually takes care of it. Yeah. Technology has helped a lot of stuff like that, like little things you don't really think about a whole lot, but especially document storage and file sharing, that's been such a huge advancement. Um, yeah (laughs) no it's it's you know and it's just it's dumb little things like that it's really inconveniences that go away just like that all right what about uh for the travelers the other kind of classification we have here do you have any (laughs) tips for them well you know obviously if you're just traveling it's not practical to say let's make medical directives or powers of attorney for nine different states, you know, or all 50 states, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that that just doesn't make sense. You know, as much as that would be awesome, you know, for the attorneys, make a lot more money. And also, if it's, hey, I only spend, I vacation two weeks a year to Florida, okay? Just a two-week vacation, and probably not worth Um, messing with, you know, Florida documents. Um, So the most important consideration, I think, at this point is just access to information, access to the plan, no matter where you are. So kind of going back to the digital copies, storage, you know, file sharing, Dropbox, Google Drive, all those great things, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, just having it while you're on the road or traveling. And then also identification, Um, you know, because if you're traveling by yourself and something happens to you, you know, you get in a car crash, who the heck knows who you are 
And who are the cops going to call? And how do they know anything about you? So if something happened to you when you weren't home, how would information be accessed by the family and by hospitals, banks, etc., so they know who's in charge and what your wishes are? And how would people be contacted? So if I traveled for work all the time, I'd probably put something in my wallet. You know, not just with my name, like your driver's license, but I put my like an emergency contact card almost, you know, wife, Alicia, and I'd put her phone number and then maybe a secondary contact, um, you know, my blood type, you know, something like that. So just if, if someone, if I got in a car crash halfway across the country, who do they call? And then obviously, you know, going back to the digital thing, you know, having access to, to information you know, my chart's great. The Dropbox and Google Drive things are as well. So still the same things that we just talked about for people who frequent uh, a second state. But obviously, there's no practical reason to make estate planning arrangements for all 50 states, you know, in, in a circumstance like that. So a lot of the answer is the same, just without that piece of it. Okay. Well, some great, really good information for people uh, that uh, are curious about how your estate plan works or what you need to be thinking about if you do travel or live in multiple locations. Some good information here. If you have questions for Nick about maybe your own situation, something specific for you that maybe we didn't cover here or just anything in general about your estate plan, you can always contact him via the website, cincinnatiestateplan.com. That's where you'll find him. But you'll also be able to call 513-463-6789 to get the Rosenbauer Law Office. All right, Nick, any other final thoughts before we close it out? think that about covers it. Just a couple things to look over, like I said, especially as we're getting into, you know, the summer and vacation season uh, and things like that. It's, just, it's something to, to keep in mind now uh, so you're not worrying about it the night before you get on a plane. So just kind of handle it now, uh, especially with tech and, and you know, t- you know, digital things like that. Even emailing copies of all the documents to yourself puts them at your fingertips. And so small things, small moves you can make that can make a big difference. Okay. I'm making some notes for whenever I do get that lake house that you talked about in another state, I'll, I'll be prepared. So, yeah, absolutely. Very good. <laughs> All right, well, appreciate you listening to this episode of Complete Estate Planning. For Nick Rosenbauer over at the Rosenbauer Law Office, I am Ben George. Have a good week. The Complete Estate Planning Podcast is brought to you by the Rosenbauer Law Office, based in Westchester, Ohio, and serving the entire Cincinnati area. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to the show on your favorite app today and never miss an episode. Just search for Complete Estate Planning with Nick Rosenbauer to find us or visit CincinnatiEstatePlan.com to listen to past episodes, to contact Nick, and to learn more about protecting your family legacy. That's CincinnatiEstatePlan.com. This show is for informational purposes only and does not provide any legal advice. Information on this show may not constitute the most up-to-date legal information. Please do not act or refrain from acting based solely on anything you hear on this show. This show does not form any attorney-client relationship with the Rosenbauer Law Office, LLC. Please seek the counsel of a qualified attorney before addressing your own estate planning needs.